The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson. I'm a reporter with Mansion Global. Today with me is George Ratu, Senior Economist of Realtor.com, and Jessica Aberbush, CEO and owner of Zetlin Sotheby's International in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, George and Jessica. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you, Leslie. So today we're here to talk about the Wall Street Journal Realtor.com Emerging Housing Markets Index for the second quarter. So George, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us what that is and what the methodology behind it is? Absolutely. So what we um, wanted to do when partnering with the Wall Street Journal is go beyond the typical rankings that you end up seeing in so many news stories, right? The, The most expensive, the cheapest housing markets, the most popular. We wanted to look, obviously, at the underlying real estate fundamentals, but we wanted to give it a much bigger dimension. So we're looking at the strength of the local economy, for example, wages, unemployment rate. We're also looking at amenities that are available in the area, effective real estate property taxes. We're looking at commute times. So we're trying to get a more holistic picture of what would make in-demand markets obviously on a quarterly basis. So we have roughly eight criteria uh, that we consider for this. And uh, for we, we split it really along valuation. We have an overall index that looks at the broad markets. And then we have a luxury index, which looks at roughly in, uh, the top 5% of transactions in the market. And so obviously you have slightly different views into how markets are performing. Right. So we're here to talk about the luxury segment of that uh, of the list. And Nashville, Tennessee was at the top of the ranking this quarter. And that's considered a Sunbelt city. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about where the Sunbelt is and why cities there are so appealing. So indeed, we are seeing Sunbelt cities absolutely uh, be a critical component of the ranking. And generally, they comprise states, as the name would imply, in the southern portion of the U.S., stretching from from Florida uh, in the east and even the the Carolinas all the way across the country uh, to California. So a lot of the markets, to to your point, like Nashville in Tennessee, Sarasota down in uh, Florida, are very popular with with this summer's um, buyers. And, And in fact, when you look across the criteria with people at large and incidentally, there are also areas that have been extremely popular really over the last half decade, but especially during the last two years of the pandemic, as people really re-evaluated their life choices. They look for better quality of life. They look for strong economies. And importantly, they look for affordable housing. And when we talk luxury markets, obviously affordability is going to be uh, very different. But even in that segment, people want uh, a certain lifestyle. And I think the Sunbelt uh, states absolutely offer it in spades. Right. Um, Jessica, I want to turn to you quickly. You've been an agent in Nashville for over 20 years. So what are your clients looking for when they visit the city and and uh, where are they coming from? Are they local or coming from out of state? 
Uh, well, you know, people come here for a lot of reasons. Uh, we have um, a lot of higher education here. And so, in fact, um, overwhelmingly, the students who come to Vanderbilt, Belmont, Lipscomb, uh, they don't want to leave once they come here. And that's a wonderful feeder, feeder um, of talent for the many companies that are here. Um, but people come for so many reasons. We're also at the top um, of the list for people who want to retire um, in this area. Um, but overwhelmingly, it's quality of life. Um, a very strong and diverse economy. Um, and, um, you know, just the job opportunities are tremendous. And um, we run the full gamut of lifestyle options. So whether you're a water person who wants to be on a lake, someone looking for a golf community, or a very urban or suburban lifestyle, we truly have all of it. Um, so there, there really are a lot of reasons why people are coming. Right. Um, one thing I also know is that Tennessee does not have a state income tax. How appealing is that for people coming to the community? It, it's it's hugely appealing. So the, the economic factors, um, and that's just one of them, um, we have a very favorable business environment. Everything from uh, a small business environment all the way um, to... Um, different things that attract large corporate relocations and headquarters. Um, so um, just a couple years ago, right before the pandemic um, started, Alliance Bernstein moved their headquarters here from Wall Street. And that just gives you, again, an, an example of the, the spectrum, which is a lot of the appeal, is that we have a lot to offer um, to, to people and businesses at all levels. And then, and then you throw in how our world has changed um, and remote working and our placement right smack in the middle of the country. Um, it's a very accessible place from a geography standpoint. And so now that people are able to work remotely, um, that just takes it to another level entirely. Right. George, I want to um, ask you essentially the same question. How much does the uh, lower taxes affect the ranking? I think that uh, the tax issue plays a critical role for so many people in, in today's market. And obviously for, for retirees, that is a paramount issue, right? As, as they move into their golden years, minimizing expenses is important. And at the same time, if you're in an upper income bracket, right, we're talking here luxury markets, um, people in the upper incomes are also extremely sensitive to, to taxes. Let's, let's be honest, right? If you, if you make a lot of money, having a lack of, of state income tax really leaves a lot more money in your pocket at the end of the month. So it's not surprising that, that Tennessee, along with Texas, Florida, Nevada, have seen a huge influx of, of people in the retirement age, but not only. Uh, we're seeing young professionals. Uh, you know, we've been talking about millennials for about a decade. And, you know, the, the narrative went for a while that millennials were not going to buy. They're going to rent for the rest of their lives. Well, yes, when they were 25. But today's oldest millennials are turning 41, um, decidedly moving towards middle age. So obviously finances, family uh, circumstances have changed. Stage of life is different. So obviously income tax is an important consideration for a lot of folks. So I think uh, from that standpoint, Nashville position as a very strong economy, um, as Jessica mentioned, is a real driver. Yeah, 2.8% uh, unemployment rate, well below the national, speaks volumes about the health of the local economy. And I, if you don't mind, I'd love to speak to that. We were forecasted as um, the, the 
second strongest job market um, in the country, trailing Austin. Um, and when you take all of that opportunity and you combine it with the fact that our average age is 33 in Nashville. Um, so that's younger than the average age nationally. Um, and it means that we have um, all of these uh, future buyers who are going to fuel housing demand for, for quite some time. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a perfect set of, um, of things that have led to where we sit today. Thank you. Um, I also want to talk about inventory. Obviously, the, the, one of the through lines for the last couple of years is what a low supply of homes we have. And of course, there's still a shortage, but we are starting to see more listings. George, can you talk a little bit about the outlook now and maybe for the next six months to a year? Absolutely. What we've seen, to your point, is a noticeable shift in the market, right? The last two years, we've seen a market that went into overdrive, fueled by record low mortgage rates. We saw a highly competitive environment last year, 2020. 21. And a lot of buyers across the entire spectrum, honestly, from entry level all the way to luxury, became somewhat frustrated in the process. This year, obviously, we're seeing a, a, a real shift as the monetary policy from the Fed has pushed interest rates higher. We're seeing demand pull back. At the same time, we're seeing a lot more homeowners who put their plans uh, during the pandemic on hold ready to move beyond this pandemic to a new normal. So we've seen the inventory uh, of existing homes really ramp up over the last two months. In fact, on Realtor.com, our active listings have been up year over year for two straight months. And even when I looked at Nashville, Nashville has seen a similar improvement in uh, the supply pipeline. Um, however, of course, prices remain still on an upward trajectory because it's, it's easy sometimes, I think, for, for people to, to forget. We started the year severely undersupplied. In fact, we, we ran the numbers based on population growth over the last decade. We started 2022 with about 5.8 million single-family new homes short. So obviously, it will take a while for us to build our way out of that shortage. Right. Jessica, how are you seeing the inventory issue on the ground in Nashville? Well, I think what, what we're excited about um, is uh, some stabilization. Uh, when the market is, is moving in milliseconds and it's a race, um, obviously that leaves um, people on the sidelines, people frustrated. Um, and it's just difficult to consummate a, a complicated transaction, right? This is your home. Um, you know, standard contingencies that we all rely on to do our due diligence during this process. Um, a lot of people were having to waive them to be, you know, um, to be able to win in a very competitive market. So, um, you know, again, um, a, a few, you know, a little uptick in, in the days on market uh, makes a big difference in terms of our ability to be able to um, have a, a sustainable housing market. And so it really is a positive thing. And we do think it is going to help um, more people enter the market. Now, we we still have far more demand than supply, as, as, as George said, and that's not an issue that's going to correct itself um, quickly. Right. I just want to remind our audience members that you can ask questions uh, in the chat, so feel free to do that. And Jessica, I also wanted to ask you about investors. Um, are you seeing a lot of buyers who are looking to in, uh, buy as a rental or um and how much of that market is made up by, by those individuals? 
So there, I, I can't remember the source, but we were ranked the number one market for investors last year. Um, and again, um, there's a there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, we're attracting investors ranging from individual investors um, all the way to the institutional investor investors. Every single day, there's a new record sale when it comes to the institutional level, you know, and the commercial level. Um, but there's a lot of reasons why I think investors feel confident when they see the um, consistent activity in our market. They look at our population growth, which has been 20% in the past 10 years. Um, that's very favorable. They look at the growth and the property values, uh, a very strong rental market for investors, and just the overall robustness and diversity of our economy means that we are on very stable footing um, that that really positions us for, for long-term stability and growth. Thanks. And George, I wanted to ask you the same question. Um, of course, you're sort of here to cover the whole rest of the country, but how much investment are you seeing, um, especially on the luxury level? So we've seen a, it's a record number of shares of homes scooped up by investors over the last um, six months or so. So clearly what investors are looking for, exactly to, to Jessica's point, they're looking for markets with strong economies, right? Why? Because they want folks with jobs, especially as we're seeing the economic environment soften, right? We had first estimate of GDP numbers up yesterday. We saw another slight negative number. There's a lot of speculation about whether are we are not in a recession. So for investors, a strong local economy is paramount. In addition, what investors are also seeing um, is the fact that higher interest rates have made it really unaffordable for a lot of first-time buyers to enter the, the homeownership uh, market. And so I think they are seeing a strong outlook for uh, for renting. And not surprisingly, that has led to a lot of activity. The big question going forward for me remains, what is the return in an environment where prices are still high? What's the return for a lot of the investors? And I think the next few months will, will provide a, a window into that as, as the market shifts towards more balance. Right. So um, I wanted to talk about some of the other communities that are on um, the index. You know, one thing is that some of the cities that have seen really big increases in prices or sales over the last two years could be the most susceptible to price declines. So I was wondering what your thoughts on that. And also, how long might prices still continue to rise? I think that's a, a very timely question, Leslie. And, and here, my view is that indeed, some of the markets that saw a steep and quick ramp up in prices are likely to also see, uh, and we're seeing that already, in fact, to see a moderation in that specifically. We're looking at in Realtor.com's data at every month to identify which markets are seeing uh, changes in properties with price reductions. And to your point, it's exactly some of the markets like uh, Austin, which have been a pioneer in, in this field of attracting so many tech companies, so many young professionals. Uh, but at the same time, because of, of that popularity, has you know the city has seen prices ramp up significantly. And so we're seeing the, the share of price reductions uh, begin to pick up as properties, to Jessica's point, even in Nashville, properties spend a little bit longer on the market. So for motivated sellers, obviously, 
you know, reducing the price is a, is a much faster way to close a deal. And so when I look at the other markets in the luxury index, whether it's Sarasota, Charleston, San Jose out in, in California, the Silicon Valley area, um, Tampa, Hilton Head, a lot of these markets attracted a lot of buyers over the last two years. At the same time, I think it's worth uh, pointing out that uh, a rebalancing in the market uh, shift in price pressures downward doesn't necessarily mean that all markets are going to behave the same. Uh, to to the, our discussion's point, I expect Nashville, given its strength uh, and economic um, vibrancy, to fare better than some markets um, as we move toward the next you know, six to 12 months. So to your question, Leslie, I do see prices begin to moderate. The price growth is already moderating nationally, but I think metro by metro, we'll see a bigger divergence over the next year. Right. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Florida. Florida's obviously been a huge beneficiary of the migration from places like New York and San Francisco, big cities. Is Do you see that that continue to happen? And is there any chance that like some of those cities could be immune to a downturn because they've been so popular? Sort of like you mentioned, Nashville might be. I think that Florida has been a natural uh, attraction, especially for West Coast uh, residents, whether it's New York, whether it's Boston, whether it's um, even Chicago, um, markets that traditionally have been colder. Um, and partly for the reasons we talked, A, no state income tax, uh, B, great weather and a lot of access to outdoors amenities, right, which have become really important for people in, in the pandemic, and I expect will remain important in a post-pandemic environment. Um, and so to your point, I have looked at the economic conditions, whether it's Tampa, Orlando, Miami, Jacksonville in Florida, and so far the economies have performed very well. And in fact, nationally, in this you know concern and angst over a potential recession, it's worth remembering the job market remains still very strong, where in fact, uh, really in a labor shortage situation. So my view is uh, the, the downturn in the economy will depend heavily on the job markets, and that trickles down to cities and metropolitan areas. So I think for Florida, it will really depend how well the local economies do. So far, they've been very well. Reopening of borders has brought tourism back. So I think for Florida, that, that remains a fairly bright spot. Right, and they have a lot of international buyers as well. Um, you mentioned amenities, George, and I wanted to ask you, Jessica, um, about amenities in Nashville. Are there any must-have amenities for buyers that you're talking to now? You know, it, it literally was, I wanted to make sure that this conversation um, did not end without talking about everything we have to offer from a lifestyle standpoint. Um, you know, people, there are a lot of things that are important to people, obviously, to George's point, um, you know, being able to get outdoors is so important for um, for our safety over the last several years. It was a safe way to get together, but it also is um, for mental and physical well-being so important. And we happen to be, I'm biased, I know, but uh, we live in truly one of the most beautiful places in our country. The rolling hills. I mean, it is it is a beautiful, green, lush place. Um, so parks are always important, I think, for quality of life in any area. Um, art is extremely important. It is not extra. It's not fluff. Um, people need the arts. Um, and we have such a, a spectrum of, of offerings ranging from our National Museum of African American Music that opened up downtown during the pandemic. That was a long time coming. A beautiful art museum, avant-garde arts 
obviously tons of live music. Um, and it just, there's so much to offer. Um, and then we get these um, events that are just um, at the highest level. So we hosted the NFL draft, the Music City Grand Prix, our July 4th and uh, New Year's celebrations are always um, the most watched. Um, so we just, the professional sports, how can I not mention the professional sports? We also um, have now a soccer team um, and as well as the, the Titans and the Predators. So. Um, I don't think it's about one of those things. I think it's about having all of them that appeal to a wide spectrum of people um, and that are really loved and, and well utilized by, by everyone who lives here. Right. Thank you. So we've talked a little bit about rising interest rates um, and how that's affecting the real estate market. But for luxury buyers, I wonder if the stock market and the, you know, the ups and downs there have been had more of an effect. So um, George, I was hoping you could talk about that um, and whether maybe luxury buyers think buying a home is a better inflation hedge than you know continuing to invest. That's a very timely question, Leslie. And I think for uh, to your to your point, for a lot of luxury buyers, um, a significant amount of their of their wealth is is tied to the financial markets, whether it's stocks, whether it's bonds, whether it's alternative investments. And I do see the volatility we have seen in financial markets of this last year as playing a role in obviously uh, asset allocation. And so I think for a lot of luxury buyers, real estate has been a go to both as a more stable store of, of value, but also potentially as a hedge against the inflationary environment that we've experienced over this last year. Uh, in a sense, right, we have looked historically and real estate tended to move in tandem with, with inflation. So from that standpoint, uh, I, I think that for a lot of investors that has been a play. In fact, anecdotally, I have uh, you know spoken with people who have, in fact, even at the obviously they could have paid cash for a property this last year. But being able to leverage some of that with a low uh, interest rate, again, pre-January of this year, mind you, um, and then be able to, to uh, still uh, make some of the, the rest of the funds work for them has been a strategy. doesn't work for everyone. It isn't for everyone, but that has been one. So I think in that regard, um, I see the luxury segment being more resilient over the next few months as we move through this transition. Simply looking at sales across price buckets, we're seeing sales in the million and above uh, segment, nationally speaking, very strong, up by, by uh, double digits for most of the this first half of the year. Interesting. Jessica, how are you seeing that on the ground? Is, is the stock market making any of your buyers skittish at all? Uh, we always see an impact, um, especially... Um, the volatility does um, it does cause some people to pause, um, but not all people to pause. I mean, when you're in residential real estate, life goes on. Uh, people want to live their lives, and if their families are growing or shrinking or um, other, you know, big, you know, life changes, um, that's why people buy and sell homes. And so um, it's a factor, but it's not the only factor. Um, and so our market is, is continuing to be very active, um, but it's, it, it definitely feels like it's stabilizing in a way that's far more sustainable so that we can continue this trajectory that we've been on, but, um, but kind of um, 
pivot from the the frenzy of the pandemic of the last couple of years, which we all knew, you know, was not sustainable forever. Right. Right. So I know that you've heard this question a hundred times and I've asked it myself a hundred times, including on Barron's Live. But um, George, is there a housing bubble and is it going to burst? You're right. This has been a question we've we've heard for at least a, a year and a half now. From my standpoint, I see two stages uh, to to housing cycles when it comes to in the discussion of a bubble. One, there's a stage of overheated activity and prices, generally followed by a bubble. It's hard to have a bubble without overheating prices, but you can have an overheated market that does not end up in a bubble. So I, I do draw that distinction. And so far, what we've seen from markets this first half of the year. I'm seeing a much more rational response to the uh, capital market environment. Specifically, as mortgage rates moved up, demand cooled off predictably, which is why we've seen existing home sales, new home sales drop for roughly six months. Um, so here, naturally, whenever we talk about this, we go back to a baseline. And for most of us, the baseline is 2008, right? 09, the housing bust, the Great Recession. And when I looked at that environment, there are some differences. Yes, we had uh, prices rise up. We had demand very strong. However, what we don't have this time around is the oversupply issue we had in 2008, right? Builders have been much more disciplined. A, B, there are fewer builders. Now, one of the unfortunate aspects of the Great Recession and the housing bust was a lot of builders, particularly at the local and regional level, went out of business uh, for good. In fact, when you look at the labor force in construction, it also shrank considerably. Uh, and so when you talk to builders today, their biggest complaint along with materials cost has been the shortage of labor. So we don't have the oversupply that would leave us with so much uh, you know, inventory that we would see sort of a, a, a bust in that regard. I do see the potential for a correction in prices in select markets uh, going forward, absolutely. In fact, when I look at realtor.com listing prices, there have been a half a dozen to a dozen markets, mostly in the former Rust Belt, which have actually seen prices decline year over year, sort of a natural return to seasonality. When I looked at fall and winter months, absolutely prices uh, softened. Uh, they've rebounded a little bit during the, the summer months, but we're seeing this normalization process return to seasonality as also bringing some of those price uh, cycles back. Thank you. Um, so we have a question from one of our audience members, Ralph. This is for you, George. And he asks, what state is better to retire to, Illinois or Michigan? Mm, well, that's a, that's a, I would say a pretty tough choice, right? Uh, right off the bat, I thought it would be Illinois or Florida, right? So at least the weather component would be different. Um, I would say here, it, it really depends on uh, the, the person's, I would say, number one, circumstances, number two, preferences. When I just think, you know, income taxes, property taxes, they are somewhat on par. Michigan probably has slightly lower effective property taxes across the state. Obviously, localities will, will, will differ. It also depends whether the person considers retiring in Chicago or Detroit or outside of the metro areas, right, in smaller communities, which are more affordable. And third, I think lifestyle will play an important choice here. Michigan has a lot of coastlines, has the Upper Peninsula. So if a an outdoorsy lifestyle is important, obviously Michigan might have a little more to offer 
This is no ding on on central Illinois in any way or southern Illinois. Um, so I don't I don't have a clear winner on this one. I would say it really depends on what the you know the person is looking for. Fair enough. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the factors that go into the index. We talked uh, a few weeks ago about how climate change concerns are not currently on that list, but you may add them in the future. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. That's a, an important consideration, I know, for a growing number of buyers today, Leslie. In fact, we ran a survey last year when we asked people about their concerns about natural disaster, climate change, and a growing share of Americans. Americans are looking at that. Uh, so I see that as playing over the next decade uh, an important role, especially as we see so many more impacts, whether it's fires, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes. Um, and so much of the country is beginning to experience more of these. I see people playing um, sort of when they look at their investments, having the climate part play a bigger role in this. So I think naturally for us, uh, will want to include some of this information. And just to your, to your point, Realtor.com has included two important um, uh, risk factors in our listings. One is a fire factor. One is a flood factor. Um, and I think those give buyers a lot more information upfront. Um, I think ultimately it's still important to talk to um, obviously real estate professionals on the ground because they'll know the neighborhood, they'll know the area much better. But Having more information when it comes to real estate is absolutely uh, important. George, I wanted to speak to that about speaking to local experts. You know, I've, you know, people are very attracted to our area and they come to visit and they say, I'm sold, I'm moving here. And I can't tell you how many, how many clients I personally have had who, who fit that bill. Um, but there is a naivete when you're moving to a part of the country that you don't know. And I have had people, you know, say, oh, yes, and the weather, I know the weather's great. You have a beautiful spring and a beautiful fall. Um, and it's not it's not too crazy. Right. And um, and we have to remind people we do have severe weather in Middle Tennessee. We have tornadoes. We have flooding. Um, and, you know, severe weather is a reality all around our country and our world. Um, but it, it's an important factor when you're talking about lifestyle um, and just really understanding, you know, what it's truly like to live someplace. And then I, I wanted to add one thing back to the housing bubble question, because it is the hottest topic when you're in real estate. Um, and, and 2008 and that time period will be forever inked in my, in my memory. Um, there's two very big differences that we see um, as realtors working with our clients, and it's um, the job security that people have today. Um, it's a very different um, situation than it was during that time frame um, related to the overall economy. And number two is how much equity people have in their homes. In those days, you know, people were putting little to no money down. Um, and didn't and were upside down. And there has been tremendous growth in, um, in equity for homeowners over the last number of years. And that's very different. Right. That's a great point. Thank you so much, George and Jessica, for being here. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I have been uh, so pleased to be in conversation with you all today. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Please join us back here on Monday when Barron's deputy editor, Ben Levinson, and reporter Nicholas Jasinski discussed the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you all have a great weekend. Take care. The energy transition is a long and winding road. 
and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.